Welcome to Lit Poetry, the podcast where we go on a journey of discovery, reading, analyzing, and discussing great poetry from around the world. Poetry is worth it because the reading and writing of poetry is a revolutionary act that has the potential to transform both the reader and our world. Welcome to the Lit Poetry Podcast and to today's poem, Birches by Robert Frost. We'll begin by listening to the poem itself before returning to start our discussion with some biographical information about the poet. This poem is read to you by John Lithgow. Birches When I see birches bend to left and right across the lines of straighter, darker trees, I like to think some boy's been swinging them. But swinging doesn't bend them down to stay, as ice storms do. Often you must have seen them, loaded with ice a sunny winter morning after a rain. They click upon themselves as the breeze rises and turn many-colored as the stir cracks and crazes their enamel. Soon the sun's warmth makes them shed crystal shells, shattering and avalanching on the snow crust. Such heaps of broken glass to sweep away, you'd think the inner dome of heaven had fallen. They are dragged to the withered bracken by the load, and they seem not to break. Though once they are bowed so low for long, they never right themselves. You may see their trunks arching in the woods years afterwards, trailing their leaves on the ground like girls on hands and knees that throw their hair before them over their heads to dry in the sun. But I was going to say when Truth broke in with all her matter-of-fact about the ice storm, I should prefer to have some boy bend them as he went out and in to fetch the cows. Some boy too far from town to learn baseball, whose only play was what he found himself, summer or winter, and could play alone. One by one, he subdued his father's trees by riding them down over and over again until he took the stiffness out of them. And not one but hung limp, not one was left for him to conquer. He learned all there was to learn about not launching out too soon and so not carrying the tree away clear to the ground. He always kept his poise to the top branches, climbing carefully with the same pains you use to fill the cup up to the brim and even above the brim. Then he flung outward, feet first with a swish, kicking his way down through the air to the ground. So was I once myself, a swinger of birches, and so I dream of going back to be. It's when I'm weary of considerations, and life is too much like a pathless wood where your face burns and tickles with the cobwebs broken across it, and one eye is weeping from a twig's having lashed across it open. I'd like to get away from earth a while, and then come back to it and begin over. May no fate willfully misunderstand me and half grant what I wish and snatch me away not to return. Earth's the right place for love. I don't know where it's likely to go better. 
I'd like to go by climbing a birch tree and climb black branches up a snow-white trunk toward heaven till the tree could bear no more but dipped its top and set me down again. That would be good both going and coming back. One could do worse than be a swinger of birches. So let's begin with a little discussion about the historical context. Between 1913 and 1914, Robert Frost is thought to have created the poem Birches, which later became part of his compilation called Mountain Interval. This collection was published in 1916 and is a significant milestone in Frost's career, as it contains renowned poems like The Road Not Taken and Out Out. Frost's previous works mainly consisted of dramatic monologues, whereas the poems in Mountain Interval are more contemplative, frequently taking place in natural settings and incorporating philosophical and naturalistic themes that have always been central to Frost's later writing. This shift is exemplified in works like Birch's and The Road Not Taken. Frost's collection Mountain Interval served as a precursor to his subsequent poems, famous ones like Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening and New Hampshire, both of which he published in 1923. In these works, Frost continues to focus on rural landscapes and employs naturalistic imagery to explore deep insights about human existence. This use of imagery is somewhat in line with Frost's connection to the Imagist movement, which gained prominence in 1912. Despite being associated with the Imagist movement, Frost did not let this group's influence shape his writing to a great extent. Instead, he concentrated on his own project of perfecting what he termed the sound of sense. This expression described his attempts to convey meaning and significance through the use of ordinary language that sounds natural when spoken aloud. The inspiration of Birch's was particularly derived from a poem called Swinging on a Birch Tree, authored by the 19th century poet Lucy Larcom. However, unlike Larcom's work, which is brief, light-hearted and joyful, Birch's is a rather sad piece of poetry, a rather long one. In this respect, Birch's resembles the work of poets such as John Keats, who employed romantic themes and introspective tones which did indeed impact Frost's writing. So let's talk about the themes of childhood and adulthood that spring up in this poem. The poem Birches delves into how children can discover happiness and amazement in the simple things of life. 
The speaker reflects on birch trees that are covered with ice and have been bowed down to the ground. The speaker imagines that a young boy has bent the trees while climbing them and leaping off while holding the delicate upper branches gliding back slowly to earth. The speaker pictures the boy engaging in this activity on his way to tending the family's cows, which would typically be a tedious and dull affair. In this sense, the poem becomes a tribute to youthful exuberance and happiness, traits that are best exemplified by imaginative and carefree children. The speaker of the poem particularly admires how children possess the ability to find pleasure even in seemingly dull situations. For instance, the speaker imagines that the boy who swings from the trees lives too far away from the town to play baseball, leaving him to entertain himself in his own way. However, this does not prevent the boy from relishing life. Instead of simply completing his chores mechanically, the boy uses his ingenuity to seek out joy and excitement by making use of his surroundings and swinging from the trees. The speaker suggests that this childlike capacity to extract happiness and thrill from life is a wonderful attribute. What's more, the speaker subtly suggests that these kinds of life experiences aren't just fun, but important parts of the coming-of-age process. He learned all there was to learn about launching out too soon. The speaker says, suggesting the boy knows not to jump before reaching the flexible part of the tree, since this might cause the tree to snap when he jumps, thus sending him plummeting to the ground. On a more general level, the speaker believes that the boy's experience teaches him how to pursue excitement and thrills in a safe manner. This is because the idea of not launching out too soon can be applicable to various aspects of life, underscoring the significance of patience and careful consideration. As a result, the speaker commends the ability of children to delight in life, also while hinting at the idea that this process of having fun is a crucial aspect of maturation since it shapes how children learn to manage the complexities of adulthood. On the other hand, the speaker portrays adulthood as opposed to childhood as a tedious, stressful phase of life that is weighed down by monotonous tasks and responsibilities. This is why the speaker longs for the imaginative and carefree days of childhood, when it was easier to ignore the dullness of daily life and embrace a more enthusiastic and playful outlook. Consequently, the speaker suggests that the mundane realities of adulthood gradually wear people down until they forget to appreciate the world in a creative and spontaneous way. Even though the speaker knows that the birch trees are bent due to the ice covering them, the speaker prefers to imagine that a boy has been swinging from them and causing them to droop. This reflects the speaker's yearning for childhood and a tendency to disregard the mundane realities of life. The speaker acknowledges that a boy swinging from the trees would not actually bend the wood in this manner, but still insists, I should prefer to have some boy bend them, indicating a deliberate attempt to reject logic. The speaker demonstrates a desire to perceive the world with awe and fascination rather than always adhering to rational thinking. The speaker struggles to maintain this childlike perspective on the world as reality keeps intruding on their imaginative musings. Although the speaker wishes to imagine a boy swinging through the trees, they end up describing the reality of ice accumulating on branches. 
The speaker acknowledges that truth breaking in interferes with their fantasy, showing that it is difficult to prioritize imagination over reality in adulthood. This suggests that the speaker is unable to completely ignore reality in favor of a more exciting, whimsical perspective, even though they actively desire to do so. The speaker's struggle highlights the tension between logic and imagination in the adult mind, which can make it hard to see the world in a purely fanciful way. Despite the challenges, the speaker still longs to regain a childlike sense of playfulness and creativity. The speaker dreams of returning to a time when they could swing from trees like a carefree child, but acknowledges that the realities of ageing and physical limitations make this impossible. It seems that the speaker is resigned to the fact that they can never fully recapture the imaginative spirit of childhood, but still yearn for it nonetheless. What's more, there seems to be some kind of emotional block keeping the speaker from acting spontaneously, perhaps because adulthood has stamped out the speaker's will to seek out thrills or childish delights. Either way, what's clear is that adulthood has changed the way the speaker moves through the world, making it harder to set aside practical considerations in favour of excitement, joy or pleasure. Welcome back. The final theme I want to talk about in regards to this poem deals with death and spirituality. The speaker seems to have conflicting feelings about death. On one hand, the speaker is ready to accept death and leave life behind. However, the speaker also rejects the idea of heaven and is drawn to the pleasures of earthly life. The speaker desires the transcendent feeling of escape that death can provide, but also wants to continue experiencing the joys of being alive such as love, wonder, and joy. The speaker uses simple metaphorical imagery to illustrate the desire to escape life as it is. Throughout the poem, the speaker talks about a young boy climbing birch trees then sailing down to the ground after reaching the flexible treetops. For the most part, the speaker talks about this in order to demonstrate the extent to which children are capable of finding joy in life. The metaphor of climbing the tree and then coming back down can also be seen as a representation of the speaker's desire to escape their current life situation while knowing that it won't be a permanent escape. The speaker expresses the wish to get away from earth for a while, indicating a desire to break away from the monotony and lack of reward in their current existence, which may be particularly apparent in old age. The speaker desires to break from mundane life, but has no desire to leave earthly existence for the afterlife. Instead, the speaker only wants to experience the feeling of escape and liberation from everyday life. The idea of climbing towards heaven is only a metaphor for this desire for temporary relief, as the speaker has no actual interest in reaching or entering heaven. The speaker is unwilling to permanently leave behind the possibility of experiencing love, wonder and joy in life. After all, the speaker thinks that life on Earth is worth sticking around for, saying, Earth's the right place for love. I don't know where it's likely to go better. Although the poem doesn't focus on love, this 
assertions showcases the speaker's belief that earthly life is full of good things like love that are worth living for, even when one yearns to leave other aspects of life behind. What the speaker is after then isn't death, but the opportunity to get some distance from the drudgery of life so that the beautiful parts of existence can be experienced anew. That would be good both going and coming back, the speaker says, confirming the impulse to both leave life behind and regain it. A dynamic exemplified by a flexible birch tree's ability to give one the satisfaction of climbing and descending at the same time. So that's a wrap for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed the poem. Next week we'll be featuring the poem The Solitary Reaper by William Wordsworth. To support our work, please subscribe to the podcast or to our YouTube channel. You can also visit our website at www.litpoetry.com. A video clip of this week's poem is now live on YouTube. We'll finish by listening one final time to the poem. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time. Birches. When I see birches bend to left and right across the lines of straighter, darker trees, I like to think some boy's been swinging them. But swinging doesn't bend them down to stay, as ice storms do. Often you must have seen them, loaded with ice a sunny winter morning after a rain. They click upon themselves as the breeze rises and turn many-colored as the stir cracks and crazes their enamel. Soon the sun's warmth makes them shed crystal shells, shattering and avalanching on the snow crust. Such heaps of broken glass to sweep away, you'd think the inner dome of heaven had fallen. They are dragged to the withered bracken by the load, and they seem not to break. Though once they are bowed so low for long, they never right themselves. You may see their trunks arching in the woods years afterwards, trailing their leaves on the ground like girls on hands and knees that throw their hair before them over their heads to dry in the sun. But I was going to say when Truth broke in with all her matter-of-fact about the ice storm, I should prefer to have some boy bend them as he went out and in to fetch the cows. Some boy too far from town to learn baseball, whose only play was what he found himself, summer or winter, and could play alone. One by one, he subdued his father's trees by riding them down over and over again until he took the stiffness out of them. And not one but hung limp, not one was left for him to conquer. He learned all there was to learn about not launching out too soon and so not carrying the tree away clear to the ground. He always kept his poise to the top branches, climbing carefully with the same pains you use to fill a cup up to the brim and even above the brim. 
Then he flung outward, feet first with a swish, kicking his way down through the air to the ground. So was I once myself, a swinger of birches. And so I dream of going back to be. It's when I'm weary of considerations and life is too much like a pathless wood where your face burns and tickles with the cobwebs broken across it and one eye is weeping from a twig's having lashed across it open. I'd like to get away from Earth a while and then come back to it and begin over. May no fate willfully misunderstand me and half grant what I wish and snatch me away not to return. Earth's the right place for love. I don't know where it's likely to go better. I'd like to go by climbing a birch tree and climb black branches up a snow-white trunk toward heaven till the tree could bear no more but dipped its top and set me down again. That would be good both going and coming back. One could do worse than be a swinger of birches. You've been listening to the Lit Poetry Podcast, presented by James Laidler. For more podcasts, poetry videos, and other useful resources, visit our website at www.litpoetry.com. Thanks for listening.